This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We welcome you this morning to our Sunday worship service from Ocean Lakes Family Campground in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Since this is a podcast of the sermon only, you will not be able to hear our guest singers today or have fellowship with other worshipers. However, we thank God that we can come to you by this method. Even though yesterday was Independence Day, we are celebrating today with our patriotic service. The subject today is How to Love America, and the scriptural basis is Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. The key verse is what Jesus said in verse 21 to the Pharisees who were trying to trick Jesus. We pray that this message today will be a blessing to you. In May of the year 1846, when President James K. Polk sent to Congress a message about the war with Mexico, one congressman, John J. Crittenden of Kentucky, stood and addressed his colleagues with these words, I hope to find my country in the right. However, I will stand by her, right or wrong. Twenty-six years later, in a speech before the Senate in 1872, Carl Schurz of Missouri stated similar feelings, but with a slight variation. He said, Our country, right or wrong. When right, to be kept right. When wrong, to be put right. As this patriotic expression seasoned in the mind of other people, G.K. Chesterton warned that no patriot should say, my country, right or wrong, except in an extreme case. He noted that this is like saying, my mother, drunk or sober. Well, what does a Christian owe to the nation under whose government we are called to live? It's a very sensitive question and also a very perplexing one. On one hand, we feel those urges within which would remind us that we do have a responsibility to be good citizens of the nation. But at the same time, we look at corruption in government and remember that many of our laws are man-made. When we find conflict between these two allegiances, then what do we choose? Just how much do we owe to the state? And how much do we owe to God? There are those who would try to solve this problem with oversimplified answers. On one extreme are those who might say that we owe absolutely nothing at all to human governments. Their philosophy is that the proper thing to do is to come ye out from among them and be a separate people. That's a Bible verse that says that. Don't have anything to do with government, they say, because it's all rotten, corrupt, and we don't want anything to do with it. Brooks Hayes, a congressman of many years ago from Arkansas, told about a political pollster who went to the backwoods area of his state, Arkansas, and asked a farm lady about who she was for. 
and the upcoming election. She looked at this man straight in the eye and she said to him, son, I am a Christian. I have never voted in all my life and I never intend to. It might encourage them. Well, here's one who takes what I would consider an extreme position that God and the government are mortal enemies. And if you're going to serve one, then you can't have anything to do with the other. On the other extreme, there are those people who think that they owe complete loyalty without, without any question to the powers that be. This position demands that you obey government authority no matter what it does or says. Any disagreement with the government, they say, is treason. And so the thing to do is to be obedient regardless. Well, there were those German Christians who many years ago took that same position when Adolf Hitler took over. These two extremes did not begin when America became a nation. All the way back to the days of Jesus Christ, and surely even before, there were those who battled with the question of how much loyalty belonged to the state and how much belonged to God. When Jesus lived, there were the zealots and the Pharisees who were violently opposed to the Roman government. On the other hand, there were the tax collectors and the Sadducees who said, in order to get along, go along. After all, the Romans are in power. Whatever they say, we should do. Well, needless to say, both of these two extreme groups hated the other. And one day, Jesus got caught right in the middle of these two groups. I'd like to read a brief passage from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning with verse 15, that tells us this story about how Jesus was almost trapped, or they were trying to trap him anyhow. Let's, I'm reading from the message. The Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. They sent their disciples, with a few of Herod's followers mixed in, to ask, Teacher, we know you have integrity, teach the way of God accurately, are indifferent to popular opinion, and don't pander to your students. So tell us honestly, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus knew they were up to no good. He said, why are you playing these games with me? Why are you trying to trap me? Do you have a coin? Let me see it. They handed him a silver piece. This engraving, who does it look like? Whose name is on it? They said, Caesar. Then Jesus said, all right, give to Caesar what is his and give to God what is his. The Pharisees were speechless. They went off shaking their heads. Of course, Jesus gave them a perfect answer, but it didn't win any friends from either side for Jesus. These people could have answered their own question if they had listened to some other words of Jesus when he said elsewhere that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. What Jesus was saying here was that there are two dimensions 
two directions to our love. We are to love that which is perfect and complete in one way, and we are to love that which is imperfect and incomplete in another way. This means that the kind of love we must render to God is worship love. And the kind of love we must render to anything or anyone else is nurture love. And our problem comes when we get these two kinds of love mixed up. When we try to worship that which is not already perfect, this leads to disaster. Render unto, th unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's, Jesus said. Now, let's look for just a few minutes at these two kinds of love and see if we can learn anything, not only about how to love America, but also how to love God. Let's look first at the nurture love for America. When we sang this morning, God bless America, land that I love, what did we mean by singing that in the earlier part of our service today? What do we mean by saying, I love America? If we look at our nation realistically, we'll have to admit that we are not a nation of angels, but we are rather a strange mixture of light and darkness, good and evil, strength and weakness. Our ancestors came to these shores. Why? Seeking religious freedom? Well, that's, that's partly right. Some did come here seeking a new Jerusalem where they could worship God according to the desires of their hearts. But that's not the whole story. Some came to these shores not in order to save their souls, but to line their pockets. They came for the purpose of getting as much material wealth as they could amass. They didn't care as much about New Jerusalem as they did about a new Babylon or new Sodom. So you see, our national heritage was not all sweetness and light as we sometimes would like to think. It is somewhat interesting and discouraging, we might say, to note that many of those who came seeking toleration were some of the most intolerant people you could imagine. Just look at what some of these freedom seekers did to the Native Americans, we used to call them Indians, who were already living here, and also to the natives of Africa who were soon forced against their will to come to these shores. We're not too uncomfortable thinking about the sins of people two or three hundred years ago, maybe, but we could trace this same pattern right down to our present day, more recent times, and we could see that our nation has sinned in many, many other ways. We have sinned in allowing the forces of crime and immorality to get out of control. We have sinned as a nation through the casual manner in which so many of our people treat the institution of marriage either by ignoring it altogether and just taking up and living together, or by a quick turning to divorce as a way in which they pretend to solve problems. We have sinned in the wholesale murder of unborn babies by practicing the belief that abortion is an acceptable means of birth control. We have sinned as a nation in the careless waste of wealth which is issued for many 
in a spirit of reckless abandon in spending rather than in a God-ordained belief that we are stewards of all that we hold. We have sinned as a nation in allowing the most sweeping wave of lewdness, vulgarity, moral filth to sweep over our nation like a mighty flood while we sit idly by and seldom, if ever, raise a voice in protest to what surrounds us. We have sinned as a nation in consorting with socially acceptable curse of beverage alcohol, which is the greatest single cause of destruction of lives and homes in our nation. There's no question about that. We have sinned as a nation by our failure to stand up and speak up against those who loudly demand freedom, but who in reality advocate unrestrained license, never seeming to realize that true freedom was never intended to be separated from moral responsibility. Yes, we have sinned as a nation. America's cup of iniquity is full to the brim. And the Word of God makes it very plain that there is a limit even to the patience and mercy of God. There comes a time when God may well say, It is enough. Psalm 9 verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. As Carlisle Marnie once said, It is too late to worry about innocence. Our only choice now is how to be responsible in our guilt. Facing up to reality is the beginning point in expressing nurture love for America. Yes, there is much about our nation that is not right. But just saying this and stopping there doesn't prove that there's a genuine love present for our country. I get rather provoked with those prophets of doom who seem content with parading before our eyes everything that's wrong with our nation. We hear that every day. That can be demoralizing and can end only in frustration or despair. This is what happened to William Lord Garrison back in the early 1800s in relation to the slavery issue. Like so many other Americans, Garrison recognized the problem of our proclaiming that all men are created equal, while at the same time some human beings owned other human beings. So Garrison became increasingly angry over this situation, and his anger carried him to the point of wholesale condemnation. In a speech in 1837, he characterized Americans as land-stealing, bloodthirsty, and man-slaying. He even went so far as to burn the Declaration of Independence in public to demonstrate his opposition to slavery. Well, needless to say, this extreme action isolated him from a large portion of the American people, so much so that in 1860, when the slavery issue finally came to a head, Garrison's influence on the outcome was quite minimal. Now contrast that man's actions with those of another person who held similar views, but who approached the problem from a nurture love standpoint. His name was Theodore Weld, W-E-L-D. 
He had been converted under the preaching of Charles G. Finney. And this man was able to put into practice the biblical, biblical command of bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. His idea was that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution already contained the ideal of freedom. And so his approach was to fulfill them rather than to burn or abandon them. And so he preached this theme for over 20 years. And when the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were finally added to the Constitution, it was wording from Theodore Well and his many speeches that they used for a pattern. That which is not yet perfect can be loved, but with a nurture love, not a worship love. It is to God and to God alone that we must reserve our other kind of love, which is worship love for God. Let's look at that for a moment. Rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's by no means rules out our rendering unto God the things that are God's. In fact, one of the greatest expressions of love that we can make to our country is to be the kind of citizens of a spiritual kingdom that God wants us to be. And these two ideas are closely tied together. I want to confine what I have to say about this dimension of worship love to God by sharing with you an illustration, a story of what happened in the life of one man, a fellow pastor, who now has gone on to be with the Lord. If I were to call his name, perhaps everyone listening to me would know of him, but that's not really the important thing. At a conference which I attended some years ago in Atlanta, I heard this pastor tell of the time when he was having family devotions with his children. It was many years ago and things were very bad in many areas of our nation, similar to what we're facing today. This preacher made the statement to his children, it is very doubtful, children, that you will grow up to be as old as your parents are in a free America. It's very doubtful you'll ever know what we have known and enjoyed. <clears throat> About that time, one of his children, a little boy whose name was Jonathan, spoke up and said, Daddy, why don't you do something about it? Well, you know how little boys are. The preacher said, son, I'm just one person in a very small town. Then the family devotions were over for that night. But the next night, Jonathan had obviously been thinking about this matter during the whole day. And he said again, daddy, why don't you do something about that? Well, somehow that question stuck in that preacher's heart. And he said that a few weeks later, in his private time with the Lord, God asked him that same question. Only this time, he could not dismiss it so easily. He said, I had a distinct feeling from the Lord saying to me, yes, you're only one person, but you'd better do what you can. And so it was during those years that this man took that question seriously. And the years since have shown that God's obvious hand of blessing was on that preacher's efforts. And he said to those of us who were assembled in Atlanta that day, I am determined that 
one day, if in fact this country does fail, my children will never look me in the face and say, Daddy, where were you the day freedom died? Jesus was right. Christian people do owe something to their nation, something very important. We do not owe our nation what rightfully belongs to God, namely our ultimate allegiance, our worship love. Only one who is perfect deserves that kind of devotion and love. But we do owe to America the kind of love that is appropriate to all growing things, nurture love, which is willing to bear all things, hope all things, endure all things, and most of all, never give up. Admittedly, this kind of love is not easy to give sometimes, but it is certainly essential if the less than perfect things or persons are going to grow. And so, as we render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that's nurture love, and to God the things that are God's, worship love, then we will find that beautiful combination which results not only in a healthy patriotism, but also in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. Will you pray with me? Oh God, even though Independence Day has passed, yet we need to be aware every day of the year that we owe something to you, our worship love, and we owe something to our nation, nurture love. Help us, O oh God, to be good citizens and to do what you lead us to do, to let the beauty of Jesus be seen in our lives so that we as even one individual will be able to say, yes, Lord, to whatever you call us to do. Thank you for blessing America in so many ways. Help us, O oh God, to return to you in ways in which we need to confess our sins and to change our actions. All this we pray in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.